Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. So, but I'm really, really excited to be giving this sermon as we end 2020 and go into 2021. I think it's essential. I think it is a very essential sermon for us to hear. And I pray that through this sermon, you see some hope. That's what my hope is, that you see hope, even though this year has been not so great for some. 2020 has not been good for a lot of people. Um, We've seen people lose jobs and businesses because of COVID-19. We've seen people die from this virus. We've seen churches that have shut down permanently because of government restriction of them meeting and they can't afford to keep their doors open. We thank God that that wasn't our church. It could have been, but we thank God that our, our leadership in Alabama was smart enough to pull back the restriction when they did. There's been suffering all over the globe. I don't know if you know this, but I wanted to enlighten you a little bit on what's been happening around the globe. And the Christian church in China has seen an increase in persecution. They have uh, had their house churches broken into by the government and been told to stop and cease and have pastors who've been arrested and taken to jail, never to be seen again, pretty much. Um, in India, there has been an increase uh, Hindu fundamentalists have been kidnapping godly men, drugging them, taking them to Hindu temples and forcing them to worship Hindu gods, then leaving them and calling the police and having those men arrested for being drugged. And those men, there's one man who was sentenced to seven years in prison because this happened. In Pakistan, much the same, Muslim terrorists have been attacking men and and families and women and and taking young girls and kidnapping them and trying to force them into marriages because they're Christian. Um, Parts of Africa, where Boko Haram has begun, begun persecuting the church quite awfully again. And I heard a story just the other day. I think it was on Christmas Day that I actually heard it. The government of Zambia has been hiding causes of death for their country. They had 2,000 deaths that they had hidden. And it was actually where Muslim terrorists came into churches with machetes. And that's how 2,000 people died and the government of Zambia was trying to hide that. But it came out. So, 2020 has been hard around the world and around the church. And I want to get into some meat here because I think we need to understand some things about the God that we serve. I don't think we need to go any farther in our lives without understanding the God that we serve. I once falsely taught, 
and I repent to you as a congregation. A narrative that said that God has no control over the things that are happening in this world. He's just in charge and things just happen. This year, however, I have almost completed reading the Bible. And I see clearly that I was wrong. And I've seen the truth. I think that I had good intentions for saying the things I said about God. I wanted to make him seem nicer. Made him wanted to make him seem like somebody who was all loving. And he is all loving. There's no love outside of God. He is powerful. Powerfully loving. But I don't need to absolve God of anything for he is God. And there are times that God calls us to suffer. For the church, times of suffering have meant strengthening and growth of its people. This is tough for us as individuals, right? And I pray that by the time we're done, we all understand the purpose in suffering in God's sovereign will. Because we need to understand it. What is the purpose of it? I want to take you to Scripture. Now hear the infallible, inspired Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evil evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that it is inerrant and infallible. And God, though I am fallible, when I am in your word, the truth is being given. We thank you for your word. We know that it is truth. God, I ask that you would remove the veil from our eyes, that we may see a clear revelation of who you are this morning. Bless us with that revelation knowledge that we may receive it, retain it, and hold it dear and use it in our daily lives. Holy Spirit, illuminate this scripture and these scriptures that we use today to us. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Now these verses have several themes that do not fit the narrative that we have created in our modern world as it pertains to suffering. You see, as I look around, I see that 
It seems like the Christian church doesn't understand the doctrine of suffering. That there are times that we are called to suffer. There are times that we are called to go through difficult times for a purpose. In this scripture we see that suffering comes to test and prove our faith. That's clearly stated in verse 12. It says, the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you. What's it testing? Your faith. And it proves it. Secondly, another theme is that we rejoice in these sufferings. Verse 13 says, but rejoice. Because you're sharing Christ's sufferings. Rejoice when you suffer. Thirdly, we see that our sufferings bring glory to God. It's very clear in verse 13, verse 14, and verse 16. That the glory of God is shown in our suffering sometimes. Verse 16 is very clear about the fourth theme that we should not be ashamed of our sufferings. We don't hide them. But the most important theme, I think, with it comes from verse 19, is that sufferings are part of God's will for our lives. Let's read verse 19 again and hear what it says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's dig in. First, we see that our sufferings are according to God's will. Let those who suffer according to God's will. So sometimes it is God's will that we should go through times of suffering. We also see that we must trust God. It says to that those who are suffering must entrust their souls to God. Entrust your souls to God. Trust that no matter what you're going through, that you do not suffer alone in any way, that the Holy Spirit has indwelled you. That God Himself is on your side. Next we see something very important that I think all of us must understand is that He is our Creator and has rights over us. And He's faithful as a Creator. And it says, entrust our souls to a faithful Creator. The Creator has rights over the creation. And lastly, we must understand that it is all working for our good. Does anybody love suffering? You enjoy suffering times, going through hard stuff? No, we don't. It's natural. But God is working always for our good and His glory.
So I, I, w- I went through a teaching on suffering and God's sovereignty in suffering by R.C. Sproul. And R.C., in, in, in teaching on God's sovereignty and suffering, he made a really good point. When we are suffering, the one question we generally ask is this. Why? Why? How many of y'all have ever been there? You've been going through something very difficult, very awful. And the question that is always running through your mind is this. Why, God? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening, right? Nothing wrong with that question, okay? Nothing wrong with it. Because the reason that we ask that question is because we want to know the purpose of it. We want to know the purpose of why we are suffering, why we are going through this difficulty, why we may be going through sickness, through loss, through job loss, through pain, through, through difficulties in our lives. We want to know why. Because we need to understand something. God is not in control. We cannot truly believe that he has a purpose for our suffering. I don't want to suffer without purpose. I want the things I go through to have a reason. And I hope that you would too. Knowing that God is in control, we can believe that he does have a purpose for our suffering. We all struggle to, to, to think that anything bad is for our good because that's natural. That's a natural thought to have. How can we feel that something bad is for our good? How's something bad for my good? It's bad. I don't want to deal with it. But let's look to the authority. Let's look to Scripture to find our answers about this. I could tell you all about my personal experiences with this and how that proves these points that I've been making. I can tell you all about 2015, what happened to us. I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you about the, the purpose that I see God doing in it. But that will make no difference eternally. I'm going to give you the word of God Because it's infallible and inerrant. And it will prove God's sovereign will in suffering. So let me give you the word of God. And first, we have to go where all of your heads have already been. Right? That one book that some of us try to avoid, especially us preachers. Because sometimes it's hard to preach. Let's go to the book of Job, or chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. I'm going to skip through some things. I'm going to give you some, uh, some, some information. If, I had, if we had to read this whole book, it'd take a minute. But I hope that I can give you a teaching on it that, it, that makes sense. Because we're going past the book of Job. We're going to go other places. But we've got to start here, because this is clear. God put Job in his Bible for a reason. Job chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 through 12 real quick. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out. From the presence of the Lord. There's been a teaching that really took hold in the Word of Faith movement that says that Satan was able to do all these things because Job lacked faith. They say that because he prayed for his children and offered sacrifices for them continually. They said that proved he didn't have faith because he didn't just pray and trust God to do it. And they say that's how Satan got a hold of it. That's false teaching is what that is. First of all, this is something I'm passionate about. That is called being a family shepherd. Men, you should pray for your kids daily. That's being a family shepherd. That is not unfaithful. That is faithfully shepherding your family. There's nothing wrong with praying for your kids every day. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, please lead them and guide them. I put them in your hands. That is very faithful. That's not faithless. Women, pray for your kids every day. Why? Because they're in a world that hates God. And we are to lead them to Him. So let me step off my soapbox again and get back to the text. Secondly, a second reason that is false is because God Himself called Job two words. Blameless and upright. If Job had any blame, God Himself would not have lied and said He was blameless. We need to trust what God says about Job. God don't lie. Satan was able to do these things because God willed it. God willed it. He allowed it. He said, he's in your hands. And what did Job say? Let's skip down to verse 21 of chapter 1. And he said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And what does the next verse say? In all this, 
Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job had just said that the Lord takes away. If it is true that God has nothing to do with suffering, then Job would have been falsely charging God. And he wasn't. What happens next? Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 say, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for without reason. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So then Job began to suffer in body with painful sores and painful disease. He was in constant pain, hurting. They said that he would take the broken pieces of pottery and use it to, to scratch his wounds. I hope that I never have a rash that I have to use a broken pot to scratch. And then we see one of the craziest interactions I could ever imagine during a time of suffering. In verse 9 and 10 of chapter 2, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. I hope my wife never tells me to just curse God and die. What a strange, strange interaction. But listen to what Job says. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job says that he received good and evil from God and Job did not sin in what he said. If God had not willed it, Job would have been falsely accusing God. Which would have been breaking a commandment against the one who wrote him. But he didn't sin. And then Job's friends show up. Good group of friends, right? And for several chapters, they blame Job's suffering on all kinds of sins, pride, foolishness, all these other sins. They blame it all on sin. And Job finally gets to the point where he questions God with why is this happening? He says, why? And God answers. In chapter 38, God answers Job from the whirlwind. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, 
and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. God answered Job's why by questioning him. Why? Because God knows best. God is sovereign. And Job was called to suffer in this time. All for the purpose that God would get glory for his faithfulness to Job. Well, how can you say God was faithful to Job when he lost so much and he suffered so much? Because God spared his life. And at the end of his time of suffering, he received immense blessing. So God got glory from his faithfulness to Job. But God also got glory because of Job's faithfulness to God. Job never left his faith. He held it tight. Even when his own wife said, just curse him and die because you're suffering so much. Job said, I will bless the Lord. And just so we don't stay there, let's go to where Jesus expounds on this point of God's sovereignty and suffering. Let's go to John chapter 9, where we see a very powerful interaction between Jesus, his disciples, and a man who was born blind. John chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, here's why they said that. Because the Pharisees had began teaching a heretical teaching that suffering in youth and, and, and other things and in life came from your sin. That you sinned. You must have done something or your parents did something. So you're being punished. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. Jesus fixes it. You ready? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. 
So this man was born blind all for God's glory. He was born blind because his healing brought glory to Christ. That's why he was born blind. It was God's will. The greatest example is, however, Christ himself. He was born to suffer. In Isaiah, he is prophesied to be the suffering servant. That is a way to describe the Messiah, that he is the suffering servant. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, we're just past the point where Peter confesses that Christ is Christ. And Jesus sets up his church. We're just past that point. And beginning in verse 21, Jesus begins to change the tone of his ministry to explain to the people who are following him what's fixing to happen. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Christ refused to be deterred from God's plan that he should suffer. Why? Because the fruit of that plan is sitting in this church right now. People born again. Nations reached with the gospel. There was a plan for his suffering. There was a purpose. And he suffered more than any other had ever suffered. Do you realize on the cross, he took all the guilt and the shame for your sin. He took all disease on the cross. He took all of God's wrath and suffering on the cross. Nobody suffered more than those six hours that Christ suffered on the cross. Nobody. Matthew 26, verse 36 through 44. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And when he said to Peter, so you, you, you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for a second time, he went and prayed. My father, 
If this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Jesus clearly understood that it was God's will that he should suffer. And that this suffering would bring God's ultimate glory. Yet, he didn't go into it joyfully. He went into it with sorrow and mourning. Guess what? When you suffer, you will experience sorrow, mourning, pain. But we must understand like Christ. Sometimes we've got to drink of the cup. I promise you the cup that we drink of in our suffering is no, nothing compared to what Christ drank from. For us. To save us. It is all for God's glory. Now these three cases. Let's call them case studies in the Bible. The Bible is what we trust. Is the Bible inerrant? Absolutely. Is it infallible? Absolutely. It is the ruling authority for faith and practice in our church. It is the truth. And we see three clear examples. Three clear case studies of God's sovereignty and suffering. But these three cases are simply drops in a huge bucket. Paul spoke of his own suffering in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Go read that sometime. The early church was constantly persecuted and tormented. And these persecution, these torments, and these sufferings made the foundation of God's church, of Christ's church, unshakable. How in the world could 12 men over 2,000 years ago established something that still stands? And right now we're in America and we are still standing on their shoulders. Why? Because God's will for them to suffer made the foundations solid. I thank God that we're not going through what they're going through overseas right now. I thank God that we're not going through what the early church went through. But folks, there may come a time when our church is, is persecuted. Who knows? But we must understand that any suffering we endure is God's will to bring us to a specific place for our good and His glory. We're all called to suffer one time or another. Why? That's the question we'll ask. What's the ultimate purpose? That's what we want to know. And the answer is always going to be the same. Always. All for the glory of God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. All for the glory of God alone. Justin Peters talks about the modern method of evangelism. And you guys have heard it. 
you've heard it from evangelists, people trying to witness on the street. You've heard this. I know you've heard it a million times. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Right? We've all heard that. Definitely. It's absolutely true. And sometimes the plan is to suffer. How do I know? Ask Stephen. Stephen, who was so excited about this new Christ he had found, this regenerated heart that he had that he couldn't stop preaching to men who were spitting at him and reviling him. And he was stoned all while looking up and seeing the glory of God in the open heaven. God had a wonderful plan for his life. What was the plan? To die. Ask James. James prayed so much that they called him camel knees because his knees were so callous from him bowing and praying. He was the Lord's brother, his half-brother. He prayed as he worked in the temple as a Christian. And he was killed. God had a wonderful plan for his life. And he fulfilled it. Ask Thomas, the man who did not believe that the Lord had risen at first. And then what happened? He sees him. And he believes him. And then do you know what he did? He went and established a church in India. And he was going town to town, busting up idols. And they got tired of it because they were taking, he was taking their money and they killed him. God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life. And that plan was to spread the gospel all the way to India and be killed. Ask Matthew, the tax collector, the one who everybody shunned, who Jesus said, follow me. He had a bad reputation, but God changed his life. And he was the first bishop to reach Ethiopia, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ when men rushed into his church and killed him. God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life. That plan was to spread the gospel to Ethiopia And die for Christ. Most of all, ask Paul. Who spread the gospel all over the world after being Saul of Tarsus who killed Christians and tried to stop the movement that he spread all over the globe. He went before Caesar himself. They tried to kill him several times. Shipwrecks, snake bites, all these things he suffered. And they finally killed him. God loved him and had a wonderful plan for his life. And that plan was to share the gospel with the known world and to die. And when he opened his eyes, do you know what he saw? The face of Jesus again. So in saying all this, 
Now we've got to ask the big question, right? Because I can't preach to you and not show you how this fits you. How can we take hope knowing that God will will at times for us to suffer? How can we take hope? I say this. We have hope knowing that there is no random event that will destroy God's plan for us. When I would preach that things just happen, that God wasn't in control, but He would turn it for your favor. Well, listen. I was preaching a God who did not have enough control over His own creation to hold you in His hand during suffering. He is in control. And not only is He in control, He holds you fast if you are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, you better run to Him. Because in times of suffering, He is your hope. There's no random molecule in this world. There's no maverick molecules. That's what R.C. Sproul used to say. There's no maverick molecules doing things outside of God's eyes. He knows all. He has ordained all things from the beginning. So there's no random event that's going to come and wreck your life. Because all things work for your good and God's glory. Secondly, we know that God will receive all glory from our suffering. So at the end of the day, when you've gone through loss, when you've gone through sickness, when you've gone through pains, when you've gone through all of these things in your life, God will get the glory. I speak personally to you. When we lost Casey's dad, a baby, and my mom, within six months, we didn't understand why. But to God be the glory. He knew exactly what, was he, what he was doing. And I stand before you, the product of God's sovereignty in suffering. Thirdly, we know that nothing can affect us with suffering without God ordaining it. That means Satan never really has control of your life. That, that random events don't have control of your life. God does. What peace we can take in that. And lastly, we look to the glorious hope that we have in Christ. That one day, there will be no more suffering. That one day, the dead in Christ shall rise. And those who are alive and remain will meet him in the air. And we will ever be with him. He will wipe every tear from our eye. All sickness and all pain, all suffering is over. We are glorified and we will be with him forever, never to worry on this earth again. So look for a day of no suffering. It won't happen here on this earth. But one day, if you are in Christ, you will see 
a day with no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more depression, nothing, nothing to make you suffer anymore. And I personally take great comfort in that. Great comfort. Let me pray. Father, we trust you. We give you honor and worship and praise, knowing that you are sovereign and that you are good. And your will for us is good, even if it takes us through times of suffering. We know that we can trust you. God, I ask that you comfort each heart in this place. God, if there's anybody currently going through suffering, whether it be loss, financial hardship, sickness, pain of some sort, <laughs> mental anguish, God, I ask that you would let them see that there is purpose in our sufferings. And that purpose is for our good and for your glory. Just like the times of of good, the times of joy and the times of happiness, the times of sorrow are for our good and your glory. Help us to understand that. Help us to lean more closely to you, to cling to you as you cling to us, to know that you're worthy of all of our worship and praise. And no matter what we suffer through, no matter what we go through, we know that you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear. We thank you, God, for your love, your mercy, and for choosing us. God, I ask that there be anyone who has a heart of stone, that you would remove that heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh that they may repent and place their trust fully in Christ for the remission of their sins, be born again and adopted as sons and daughters. Sinner, run to Christ, cling to Christ. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts as you sanctify us, as you draw those who don't know to yourself. We give you honor and praise this morning, and we lift you up. We thank you, God, even though it's difficult to say thank you for a year like 2020, we thank you for 2020, and we thank you for the blessing of 2021, which is coming. In Jesus' name, amen.